Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Forum. I'm so glad you're here. I have two exciting guests that I will introduce in just a minute. Just want to remind you, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to thespiritualforum.org, and you can donate there. I mention this every week because that's the way we keep this podcast going, by donation only. And so we really, really, really appreciate anything that comes our way. I just had a, a, a $10 donation by somebody who just joined the YouTube channel. And I was just so excited. It's like, what a great way to affirm that, you know, you're you're part of this team. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but any amount really does help. Also, if you want to be a part of the newsletter, you can um, subscribe at the spiritualform.org. And that's the, the website that has everything about the podcast, the retreat, the prayer ministry, everything that we're about. So that's my run up for today. As I said, we have two fabulous guests today, Colm Holland and Dean Wilkinson, and we will be talking about the book, The True Origins of Jesus, The Myth Behind the Man. This book was written by Jeff Roberts, who is deceased. The book was originally self-published and has recently been published by John Hunt Publishing, with Colm as the editor and Dean as the writer of the foreword. So let me tell you a little bit about Colm and Dean. Um, Colm, you may remember, was on the Spiritual Forum podcast, episodes 121 and 122. So that was like 80 episodes ago or so. (laughs) Ancient history. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like (laughs) she. I know, I know. Um, So he's the publisher of the global bestseller, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, and the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, The Secret of the Alchemist which has been on the Amazon Top 100 for two years. Colm is based in the UK, and he podcasts on the subjects of alchemy, myth, Carl Jung, and analytical psychology. On matters of faith and religion, Colm takes a Jungian view where the power lies in myth and the many ways unconditional love effects change for good. Dean Wilkinson is an industry disruptor. He is a CEO of Accurate Door and founder of Epoch Work, which focuses on blue-collar leadership and building bridges to opportunity for blue-collar workers. A lifelong learner, Dean is trained in spiritual direction, leadership, and business. The message of Dean's foreword in the book is, don't abandon your faith because you think you need to take the Bible literally. We'll let him talk more about that as we get into the book. Um, So welcome, Colm and Dean. Thank you, Carol. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out how are we going to talk, you know, who's going to talk when. So I hope you guys have a code or something. <laughs> we seem to. Okay, good. <laughs> we're vibe along the, along the way there. Good, good, good. I know I had very abbreviated introductions. And normally I ask you to tell me about your life, a spiritual journey, about how you got to where you are today. But since you guys are both here, I think I kind of want to jump right into the book and why you're involved in it and what it is. And if any of your personal story comes through any of our conversation today, that's great. It's very welcome. People love to hear people's personal stories. But let's just jump into what called each of you to work with this particular book. And the book, again, is called The True Origins of Jesus, The Myth Behind the Man. So um, 
just really briefly, uh, I came across um, this book. It was, as you said, Carol, uh, previously self-published but unknown. And uh, I came across it through a mutual contact of the family, um, Jeff Roberts' family. And when I discovered um, the book, um, it, somebody sent it to me, said, oh, you really should read this book, um, but it's out of print. Um, and I discovered Jeff had deceased. Um, I contacted the family and I said, um, I, I was going to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, Jeff has already written this and he's done a, a superb job. And I just don't have the time left in my life to write what he's written. So I would like to go ahead with it. And and I'd also like to bring into the mix um, my dear friend, Dean Wilkinson, who is in the, based in the States, uh, because he and I have actually had in-depth conversation on this very topic of who was Jesus? Where, where did the story, the greatest story ever told, which is the New Testament, where did that come from? And does it even matter where it where it came from? And and so Dean and I had all and Dean, I think you you confessed as well that you know the idea of writing a book about the the true origins of Jesus had, had been brewing away. So we both agreed this was a good idea to um, support this book, and we got the family's agreement for me to do a, quite a bit of editing to make it um, a, probably a, a little bit more pertinent to um, our time now. So uh, there were some dated bits which I, I edited out and I put some other bits in. And So what we've got, and then I'll let Dean follow, follow through on why he, he wanted to get involved with the book, but what we've got here is a, uh, an investigative journalist's view of um, the Bible and where, where it actually came from. So uh, Jeff was not a theologian. Um, he wasn't even particularly a regular churchgoer, but he had been schooled in the Bible as a as a schoolboy in England, and um, it had always fascinated him um, whether or not there was any way of proving that there really was a Jesus of Nazareth. You know, historically, uh, what documentation was there? So as as he lived a life as a journalist who was always looking for, you know, evidence for stuff. You know, what's the evidence? Was his question to himself. What is the evidence of, of of Jesus as we read about his life in the Bible through the the four Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles uh, and the letters of Paul and so on? And that's what led him to to write the book. And of course, uh, we'll talk in a moment about his findings. From his perspective, but um, so that was my. Um, I'd always wanted to write that book because I felt that. Um, in, I mean, I've been in. I've been involved in the church for most of my spiritual life. Um, it's only in latter years, and we talked about this, Carol, last time. It's only in latter years that that I've sort of departed ways with Orthodox Christianity, although I still identify as uh, an alchemistic Christian, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of keeping my bets both ways, um, <laughs> and um, so um, I, you know, I, I'd always thought, you know, I've, I always felt we're missing a trick. The yeah. church is actually missing something of much greater import by not having to feel obliged to take the Bible literally. 
And when I mean literally, I mean even to the point of can we even prove that Jesus was a real man who walked on earth um, and lived at that particular time in, you know, grew up in Galilee, went to Egypt, came back, lived in and around Jerusalem during those last three years of his, you know, did it, was there ever a life that is the story of Jesus that we have in the Bible? So that's my, my stance so far. So that was my motivation. And I'll let Dean carry on with his. So, you know, it, like Colm said, you know, he invited me into the book when he found it. And we, you know, yes, we had been having conversations that were fueled by my journey through the church and through spirituality, then through the Bible and without any guidance. You know, I I went into the, into this search with, let me just figure out how God works in the world because he wasn't working for me, right? It wasn't working, right? So things were falling apart. I was at the end of my rope and all that. And just made some commitment that I'm going to figure out what the truth is about how this stuff is supposed to work. Um, and in reading the Bible, really reading it, you know, it took, but it took a long time to really be able to read it because it was always so filled with what Christianity had taught me it was. But for some reason, I started reading it like a page turner as fast as I could read it. I didn't study it. I just started reading it. And all of a sudden the story started coming and and the disjointedness of the story, and then the order of the story. And I was like, what is going on? My Bible, that Bible, it's it's wore out now, but it's got duct tape on it. It's got question marks all over the place. Like, what was being said here? It doesn't make any sense. Um, I couldn't find the Christian doctrine in there. I couldn't find that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. I couldn't find it. And so I started to really ask it questions. And those questions have led me to, you know, write... I've got a tomb, right, that I've called God Doesn't Care as a book, right? And and there's so much of it. And whenever Calm introduced this book to me, I said, I can cut out most of this that I've written just and get rid of it. And now this would help focus me on really helping entrepreneurs and their spirituality and blending the two together to, to, to realize that we're designed to thrive, that there's some truth hidden in the Bible Sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's in plain sight, but I, I think it's underneath our current perspective, our current construction of what that Bible is. And so underneath that is some deep, powerful truth that if we leverage that truth and realize we're designed to live that truth, there's nothing that can stop us from making the impact, having the influence that we God-like creatures um, have. And we're, we're bred that way. We're, we seem to be designed that way. Okay, great. Thank, thanks, both of you. There's my mind is on five different tracks right now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can go down each one, and I don't want to lose track of them all. Um, so one one thing I I want to acknowledge is it it is the the Bible is something that many of us have been indoctrinated into, and as you mentioned, Dean, it is it is difficult to read without preconceived notions because you've you've already heard about it before you even read it. It's kind of like going to the movies where somebody's already told you about it already. And so you're not seeing it with fresh eyes. You're you're waiting for this to happen or that to happen or this to happen. And it's very hard to read completely with, you know, virgin eyes. I did read a book once. I sh- I wish I had the title. It was something I think I think it was called God a Biography. And it was a very interesting book that looked at God as the protagonist 
in the Bible and looked at the character development of God and how God <laughs> changed and God had these different different experiences and God eventually evolved. It was a really interesting book. That was the first book I ever read that was like, this is fresh. <laughs> this is completely fresh. Uh -huh. um, but I do completely get that there are hidden truths. So I, I don't like to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I think I mentioned in my last podcast conversation, actually, that there was a time where I thought, you know, the Bible completely sucks and needs to be burned and thrown out the window. I, I, I went through about a two-year period like that. I just thought it was just you know, the the worst thing that had happened to humanity. And then I've grown to to, you know, really appreciate it when I when I look at it in a symbolic and metaphysical way. So I'm gonna hold that thought. I have to say one more thing and I'm gonna turn it back over to you guys. Because I have all sorts of people on my podcast. Okay. I have people who have left Catholicism, left Judaism, left uh, fundamentalist Christianity. I have people who are who believe everything in the Bible, who their faith is in the literal everything. And I, I can, I can, I, me, Carol, I can hold it all. I'm not here to tell these people over here, you're wrong, look at this, or these people over here, you're wrong, look at this. I just want to say that up front because I don't want anyone, I want this podcast to land on the hearts of people who are ready for your message. And I don't want to make anyone wrong who may be in a different place. Does that make sense? Because we could all be wrong. So and we could all, all be wrong. Probably are. <laughs> <laughs> we could all be wrong. And I think I think both of you are talking about you're seeking truth. You're seeking, you know, what is the truth here? And you know, not all of us want to know the truth. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to know the truth. My personal prayer, anybody who knows me, that my personal prayer for like the last three years has been you know, God, show me what I cannot yet see. Mm. And it's a startling prayer because it, you'll be, it'll be answered and you'll see all sorts of stuff. And it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know life was that. And I actually think that you guys coming and approaching me about this book is also one of those. Because <laughs> I have my own resistance to the book. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's, what's, what's that? No, I'm, gonna, okay, I'm not going to let you get away with that, Carol. Oh. So Yeah, there you go. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, what's, I'd love to hear your resistance. What, what's your resistance? I think that there's a both and. Okay. I think that the Bible can be um, a story of truth. I think the Bible can be um, symbolic and metaphysical. I think there can be, I think there could be no evidence of a real Jesus walking on the planet. And I also think there might have been a real Jesus walking on the planet. That's a good segue into what I was thinking anyway. So, okay. Uh, let, let me um, just lay out my own position, yeah. um, which those who studied Carl Jung will recognize instantly. Um, so, Carl Jung, um, who I'm not a disciple of. Um, if anything, I'm a post-Jungian, which means I use a lot of what he proposed as um, the way that the human psyche works, but um, it's not the truth. It's a, a view. Um, and so it's very Jungian to, to say this is not the truth, but this is how I see it. And that's okay for me to see it that way, and it's okay for you to see it the way you want to see it. But at the core of it, and the reason why I, you know, why I love this book in particular, is that this this book doesn't just say or only say 
that there wasn't a historical Jesus. What what it actually does is it, it just questions that presumption. So for anyone who's grown up with that presumption, without any academic or even non-academic examination of whether that is has got any truth around it at all, it's just something that I was told and therefore I've have accepted, um, which we don't normally apply to many other things in life. So why are we applying it to this when it's such an important thing, you know, our faith based on an assumption? Um, Jeff is in one sense. So the three things I'm going to say about the book is he's challenging the you know the, the average intelligent person to you know ask the question you know is is what is this really the truth is it historically is this you know what evidence is there? so that, so there's that but he then goes much deeper he goes to a yet another step and what he essentially is saying um which you can question carol and you might have some resistance to this is that even the people who put this story together whoever matthew mark Luke and John were, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, we kind of got a better idea of who John is, or it might have been Mary Magdalene. Who knows um, if there really was a Mary Magdalene, by the way. So he's not not just questioning the his, historicity of Jesus, he's questioning the historicity of, of lots of the characters in the New Testament. Um, but, you know, what if the people who finally, probably anonymously to some degree, put this story together? What if they didn't even intend it to be historical fact? What if, this is, you know, Jeff talking, what if it was always ever meant to just be a story, a myth? Yeah. Now, of course, Carl Jung would love that. I mean, Carl yes. Jung would go, yes. you know. And, and as far as I'm aware, Jeff, Jeff Roberts wasn't um, a student of Carl Jung at all. He, de- he never mentions Carl Jung. He never mentions Carl Jung's view of mythology. But Carl Jung, of course, had this. Um, this is why he parted company with Sigmund Freud, hundred odd years ago. Was that um, he said that the human unconscious, left to its own devices in any culture, will manufacture, will invent, will create out of itself in a um, in a collective sense, you know, an individual and a collective sense. Um, story to try and explain divinity, whether it's Krishna, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Christ, whoever, whatever. Um, and you know, when we start talking about the truth, we, we start to get with Young, we, we're getting on really shaky ground because he he would ultimately say there is only one truth and that's your truth. That's the truth that you need to hang on to um so if that's the basis of the origin of the Jesus story then it throws open a whole new exploration that's needed of the whole text of the new testament say well if this was invented rather than you know inspirationally divinely sent from above you know moses you know got that and wrote the tablets on mount sinai um, there were these other new guys called the apostles who wrote the New Testament, and it was a similar sort of experience. Um, then, if if that was really just a myth that was coming out of you know, which other myths did this originate from? So the the great work that Jeff has done, is, and it's sort of what I call a reader's digest approach rather than an academic theological approach. 
he very gently just walks the reader through the other mythologies that were around predating the period of, of, of the start of Christianity, those that were contemporaries with Christianity. Um, he talks quite a bit about Gnosticism, which many Christians have never heard of, or if the if they've ever heard of it, they're told that it's evil in some some way. But it was, you know, that was a much more dominant um uh faith, if you want to call it a faith, um, or an approach to spirituality and the and the divine, which was picked up by the alchemists, which was then later picked up by Carl Jung. Um uh, and and then the, the the mystical the schools, the mystic schools, um, and so on. So in other words, if if this if all religion in some form is myth, is story that comes from the human condition to give life meaning and purpose and direction, which is all good, all good stuff. Just because we call something a myth doesn't mean it's bad or false. Um, in Carl Jung, understanding that you know, myth is good because myth gives shape to what is otherwise chaos. Um, and you've got to give it, give Christianity its credit. You know, our entire Western society is built on Judaism and Christianity and the premises that are laid out within those faiths. So um, it, it's powerful stuff. And the reason um, why Jeff, I think, was writing the book at, at that level was to say, what if then it was never originally meant to be taken literally by the people who wrote it? And then you have to say, well, what actually then, if that's the case, what then is the Bible really, the New Testament in particular, really saying to me as a person of faith and a person who's, who's a seeker after divinity without and within and, and collective divinity and so on? Um, and what does it say about my faith? Is my faith, is one of the questions I think Jeff is asking, is my faith reliant on what would we now be regarded as scientific or historic fact? Do I need it to be a fact that Jesus was born of a virgin? Yeah, in other yeah, words, yeah. I get. Is, I, I really get that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. So that that you know you know so that's those are the you know from a from when I was editing the book and I was really trying to get to the substance of the book. That's that's what I came away with. You know, um, is. Um, if your faith is based on histori historical facts, that's fine. But if you're going to apply um, a real level of intelligence to those facts, then you're going to like like Dean did when he, when you know when he started reading the Bible after millions of times reading it for the first time. Um, you are in for some shocks. You're in for some real slaps around the face because first of all, there isn't just one story. There's multiple stories, and those multiple stories actually contradict each other, like big time. <laughs> um, so these so-called historical facts, the, the different writers of the gospel, they can't even agree on what the historical facts actually are. So um, taking a literal view of the Bible often leads to a bit of a car crash for many disciples in the church today. Um, I'll let Dean talk. You know, Dean works with lots of people who have, have sort of been in the same boat of him, where 
you know, there comes a point quite often for intelligent and sincere people who have been listening to the preaching in the pulpit, reading the Bible as guided by the, the prayer group that they belong to and so on, who one day they something just cracks, something just breaks where the, the intellect <laughs> says, you know, this doesn't add up. It, there's some things here that are just not stacking up. So why do you rely on them so much? And, and besides, um, it, it's not exactly you know solving the issues of of, of life. It's it's failing. Um, is there something you're missing here? So that's that's my take on uh, why um, forty years ago I would have probably thrown this book in the waste paper basket in the garbage <laughs> can because it would have challenged a position that I was in at that time where I didn't want to hear anything that was going to contradict what I, how I based my faith, and that was very literal, Bible literal. The problem was that my life contradicted that faith, mm. and then trying to align those two things with integrity set me off on a completely different path. Um, so that's uh, to answer your question about myth in a way, um, is the Bible, was the Bible never meant to be literal? And is it just that another aspect of Carl Jung's thinking, which is that the, what the psyche, what the human mind will do, um, and he, again, he wasn't ridiculing this or in any way criticizing it, is that it will concretize mythology. So it will take something that was meant to just be a myth, and it will make it real. So the, the psyche is capable of shifting story and myth into reality. So, you know, if, if somebody says, I saw Elvis Presley, uh, you know, walking, walking down the street in Los Angeles the other day, um, most of us are going to go, yeah, well, well, Elvis is dead. I'm really, I'm really, really sorry, but Elvis is dead. And said, no, no, I really, I really, really saw him. You know, that's the kind of, um, dissonance that you can that the psyche will do that and he's quite capable of doing that and um so you have to take that into account as well so i'm in no way am i um being critical of anybody who takes the bible literally because i've been there um but what i am doing is saying my own personal experience i like like dean i was definitely missing out on deeper truths there so when jesus said love your enemies do good to those who hurt you. Um, give to those who ask of you. Um, one commandment. I just got one commandment. Can you just remember this one commandment to love one another as I have loved you? Um, in 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 the context of of the real meaning of the mythology of that, and we'll come on to where that where those phrases, those beatitudes. I know Dean wants to talk about the beatitudes, but um, so yeah, that's what we're talking about when we're saying going deeper taking the essence of of what's there rather than the just the simple story of what's there. Dean, I want you to talk, and I want to say one thing and then move on to you, because um, I, I love the idea that the writers may never have wanted it to be literal. I think that's something I just want, you know, I want that kind mm. of like to a little touchstone there, because that, that kind of mm. gives us permission for our minds to expand a little bit on this. Um, 
And actually, whenever I refer to Bible stories, like I talk about Moses and the Exodus and all of that a lot, but I talk about it in terms of what that story is in our life. It's really a story of our transformation and how we move from enslavement to a new place and how that transition is, you know, 40 years or a long time in this space between and what we have to do. So I, I love, there is so much richness in the stories when you do look at it as story or the characters, all the characters are characters in us. And, you know, it really is a story about our own um, unfoldment. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. And Dean, you take it away now. I got to ask you a question now, Carol. So, so in the, in the difficulty, like being able to see, like from your background, each of the, each of the disciples is a character, you know, part of us, right? Like it's right, just that, right. where does Jesus fall in that in the metaphysical understanding of the Bible? Jesus, it would be like the Christ, right? Uh, the, the God um, manifested in man. Okay. And so that, the Christ so, within. Yeah, the Christ within. The the idea, and this is this is why I like to have a live, real Jesus that lived because um, I don't need all the miracles. I don't need the virgin birth. I, there's so much I don't need about the story, but I do like to believe that there is a human on the planet who fully manifested the Christ while walking in a earthly body because that gives that's aspirational for me it's like okay someone did it you know the rest of us are trying <laughs> on our way it doesn't have to be but that's why that's why i hold on to a historical jesus so the christ jesus would represent the christ god in man the the spark of divinity fully manifested in a in in like a perfect way or in the way that we were intended to be does that make sense Absolutely. Like, it, and it's ironic too, because it's that like, Jesus was my hero. Like I went to the Bible to literally figure out, hold it. If Christianity is about living like Jesus, then I'm going to figure out how to do that. Right. I'm just going to figure it out. And, and as I started to figure I don't like, hey, you know, what in the world is all this magic? And, you know, it was what I was calling it at the time. But when I started to ask questions of the original language and the original context, Everything started turning, but I was still focusing on this thing happening. It really happened in history. And, uh, but I was, you know, always, always confused back and forth. And I'll never forget to tell this story probably a couple of times already where I was sitting on the border between Canada and, and Michigan, sitting out at the lake. There, over across the lake or the river was, was Canada. And I was there and it felt like I had crossed the border metaphysically in a sense. I had finally come up with a question to ask Google. That got me into the, the construction of the Bible, into the, the whole Nicaea and what was happening, where it was coming from, and these books and the history and where the stories come from. And I'll tell you, but before I would read that, I shut that laptop, just, I just pulled that laptop down and thought, oh my God, if I read this, everything changes. <laughs> everything changes. And it, it was scary to open that lid back up and go ahead and read it, right? It's Just like Pandora's like, box. Know, pulling the first, yeah, pulling the first book off the bookshelf in the library that wasn't Christian when I left church. You know, it was like, okay, here's Erdman. You know, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to read this book, you know. <laughs> and I was really scared. And, yeah. but it took me on a journey that, like what I hear you describing, Carol, that, you know, Jesus went 
from I don't know if it was real to being he was a badass, not a Sunday school teacher. That's 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 what he became. And I still use him. And whether it's myth or man, I still use that model of love and of unconditional love, of openness, of questioning, of 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 being who I am and who I've created to be on this earth for this purpose in this time as my model. And you can still do both and have, you know, hold two opposing ideas at the same time. Yeah. Maybe it holds us, maybe it keeps us in equilibrium. Maybe. Maybe so. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit because I don't think that our listening audience has an appreciation for um, the, the other myths, the stories that were going on at the time when this, these stories were being written or being talked about. And it is very interesting to know that the, the virgin birth and the death and rebirth themes are in multiple cultures, multiple theologies for hundreds, maybe thousands of years before. Um, so can, can you guys address some of that to summarize it for the people who are hearing about this for the first time? Yeah, Colm does the best job at this, so let's let <laughs> So, um, yeah, Jeff um, deals with this in Chapter 2. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to save you the trouble of reading. I'm going to tell you you've got to read it because it's, uh, it's full of a lot of stuff. But um, going back, way back, even into early Egyptian times, um, you know, you've got the Egyptian gods, Isis, and, and so on, uh, within within even those really early Egyptian uh, stories, um, you've got um, gods being born of, of virgins, but not by you know not, not by natural reproduction, but by divine intervention. Um, so e even within that, and the whole concept of um, God dying and then being reborn. So you know just these basic concepts. Um, so. Yeah, going back to early Egyptian times, and then some of them appear in in Indian uh, Indian subcontinent cultures in Chinese, um, but even just in the Middle East itself, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, different uh, re religions already existing. So uh, it, get this as well: if if you read the Bible, you get the impression that there were just um, two religions around <laughs> that, that there was uh, Judaism. Of the form of two, you know, two millennia ago, um, there was the the Roman gods who were heathens, according to my Sunday school teacher, um, you know, godless people. Um, there were the Greeks, and they kind of did, were defunct by this point. You know, nobody believed in the Greek gods anymore. And then, um, then there were just all this mass of heathens, that the heathen hordes from the east or wherever they they came from. Um, I'm really sorry to tell you that that's a complete misrepresentation. Historically, that definitely is a complete misrepresentation. There were multiple religions. And when Christianity grew up and then Islam again, and at sort of as a slightly similar time, when these religions were emerging, they were competing. And it had to do with who was invading who at the time, which armies were conquering which lands and whether they were following the Christian tradition, even in those first three centuries, or whether they were following some other religions. The, the one that stood out, though, the one that Jeff focuses on, I think, rightly, um, 
is what he calls the Gnostic Godfathers. There was uh, Carol, if there was a if there was a historical person at some point, and Jeff alludes to this, he concedes this. He'll concede this to you. I'd say if he was if he was with us now in person, not not just in spirit, um, he would say to you, Carol, I will concede that there was probably that probably based on what I've read and what I've studied, there was probably some guy within those early Gnostic that early Gnostic community. Um, and I won't bore everybody too much detail about where the Gnostic, what the Gnostics believed, except their view was that their uh, divinity was not about believing in an external deity from above and being obedient to that external deity and above. Um, it, it was more a case of finding, you know, the God within, much more aligned with what New Age, with Eastern religion, divinity within. Um, these guys uh, had their own version of that. It wasn't the same as what what many New Age teachers teach now or, or Eastern religions, but it was of that ilk. And there was probably a guy who was a key teacher in that, probably about a couple of hundred years, if not three, four hundred years prior to the, the, the beginnings of Christianity, and that the early Christian writers were heavily influenced by the Gnostics. And that there was a version in, injected into that. But now I'm going to throw a pebble in the pond. I'm going to throw a huge brick in the pond. I just want for a second. At the same time, don't forget there was this other religion called Buddhism, <laughs> which was around before Christianity. Um, let's not forget that. Uh, we think Buddhism, you know, is a recent thing, came into our mm -hmm. Western civilization. No, no, no. And Buddhists were used to um, proselytize. So the early Buddhists were proselytizing into the Middle East. So there is this theory, of course, that Jesus went to India. If there was a historical Jesus, he went to India. And that he picked up these things called the Beatitudes, because they're very Indian Western, Indian Eastern principles that are being still taught today, but they were taught by the Buddhists back then. Even so, um, for those who have not studied any theology, theology at all or modern theology at all, um, the modern theologians have, have grouped those sayings like "Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God," and so on and so on, and love one another, uh, do good to those who hurt you, turn the other cheek. All of that, which doesn't seem to fit the rest of the the three Gnostic Gospels in particular. That this is called, um, they call it source, or in German it's called Q, the letter, capital letter mm -hmm. Q. So those who've read any theology will know what I'm talking about. Um, a, 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 a guy who's mentioned by Jeff in the book, a guy called Christian Lindner, was a, a Sanskrit scholar who had no Christian background or theology background whatsoever. He just used to translate Sanskrit documents for um Buddhist and monks, um, and and he was a professor at, at a university in Denmark. And that was his that was his thing. He wasn't anti-Christian. He wasn't pro-Christian. He was a, totally agnostic. And yet, as he began to translate some newly found Sanskrit manuscripts, which were around at least two, three, four hundred years pre-Christianity, what he discovered, shockingly to him, was that he recognised the stories. And he didn't just recognize the stories, he recognized the pentameter. 
and and the and the style of the verse and some of the names. And it took him. He said it took him months. I, I actually talked to him on this subject before he sadly he passed not too long ago. Um, and he said, uh, and he said I was racking my brain. And then it's like one day the penny dropped. He said, "This these stories are in the New Testament." Um, oh, that's interesting. So he went away and learned Greek, um, <laughs> professor, because he didn't want to rely on anybody else's interpretation. And he measured the pentameter of some of these stories, and he started to compare them like for like with the Sanskrit. And sure enough, there's Martha, there's the raising of Lazarus, there's there's Martha and Mary and washing Jesus's feet with their tears and all. Those stories are in the Buddhist stories, and it was and through carbon dating, it was no no question they predated uh, Christianity. So he um, notified a theological college in Denmark and said, "I think I found your cue." (laughs) <laughs> ah, yeah. Uh, and Q is Q is supposed to be the source that the um, I think Matthew and Luke use Mark, Mark yeah, and also Mark, Q. Mark yeah. Mark. yeah, yeah. I think I found your Q, and I'm not a Christian and I'm not a theologian, but I just <laughs> I thought I should tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and very, and that's very interesting. So, you know, the Eastern influence. You know, for me. I guess for some people, they have to, for some people, Christian has to be this original thing that this mm. one person did. And, you know, what, what if it isn't just, you know, the, the collective consciousness that is accessing the divine or that the divine uh, pr- principles that we can all live by, that different people or different, different individuals at different times in history are kind of accessing it or they're intermingling, which he talks about in the book, mm. but they're all still truths. So Maybe it's an ego thing that's like, my truth is the original truth and your truth is a copy. I'm not sure it matters, but I think maybe it matters to some people. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Well, it has to matter, right? Because to be a Christian, right, what's their, what, what is the dividing line? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yeah. I think that the definition of Christianity has been hijacked. I don't know who owns that. I've always wondered who owns that definition, mm. you know, because Say more about that. Well, I mean, I would consider myself a Christian because I look at the teachings of Jesus and I look at what he said more than anything. Do you know what he said more than anything? He said, follow me. <laughs> no one's teaching that. <laughs> so I look, I look at, I look at Christianity as these teachings that we are to follow, <laughs> you know, right. You know that so that's my definition. My definition is not the virgin birth, all of the miracles, and the bodily resurrection. That's not my definition. My definition isn't dying for your sins, but it is other people's definition. So, you know, it's like what is being an American or being a Brit? You know, what is all? Everybody has a different definition. So, I I think that um, I I think that that definition has been hijacked. So I don't know. I can't answer. I can't answer any question like that. Hmm. Well, one of the things in going back, I took us off a little bit, but I want to, you know, the Essenes and the Gnostics, the idea behind that. What what I'm starting to really realize through the book and through talking with Calm and then talking to other people about this that are willing to talk and aren't, you know, defensive about it, is what yeah. if what we did get left with as far as in the Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because um, it was heavily debated 
right? There was two factions, at least two, that were arguing that were stuck in this place for months. And Caesar wouldn't let them leave until it was decided, right? So I, th I think about what would have the mass, the, the machinations that would have happened, you know, between dinner and lunch and that kind of thing. But <laughs> I see patterns in there. And, and you talk about the pentameter that he saw. I see patterns in there of right at the beginning of Matthew and Jesus's ministry in the Beatitudes. I could go find that pattern at, at the end of John, right? It's the last book in John 12 through 17. It's the same, he's telling the same story. Just he's doing it longer. He's showing what it looks like versus he told you what it was going to look like. Then he showed you what it was looked like. And in between is how he did that. Follow me, right? It was do what I do, but we have taken Jesus and made him Christ. And that I think is what hurt, hurt us, right? It hurt us because now we can't be that. We are just, we are human beings. We can't be Christ. Well, so, I mean, he said we could. <laughs> Huh? I know he did. I mean, he but said you could. He said, <laughs> Christianity and the church. Right, right. So to push, you say anything about God within and that you might, you know, I, I think that I, the way I see the world is, is the God in me doing that? People are going to start, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. As a unity minister, I get that all the time. And so even when I say I consider myself Christian, most unity people might not say that same thing. Okay, whether Jesus is historical or, you know, a mythological person that has spiritual truth to him, he did say, <laughs> or in the Gospels it says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is within. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anything that I can do, you can do, even more than I do. <laughs> you are gods. These are things he said. So, they can be completely ignored by traditional Christianity, but that's basically what he was saying. And, you know, love everybody and then, you know, follow this kind of life. So it is, you know, the spiritual teaching is amazing. And yes, most people who are um, any kind of religious person aren't necessarily following the teachings. And that's what Christianity needs, right? It need, I mean, like all of us need it, is the idea that we believe something and we go and test that belief in the world, right? Let, let us align our thoughts with our beliefs. Let us align our words with our thoughts and let us align all that with actions and stay in integrity and see if it works. Let's just see if it works. And if it okay. doesn't, you might be off a little bit. But because we are designed to thrive and grow and expand and impact our world, we are creators created by a creator to create. We, we you find out and you got to find out closed minded or closed eyed. And when it hurts, you know, my partner, she said, sometimes when I talk to you, it's like I'm hitting a wall. And I said, hon, that's a door. Just uh -huh. open the door because the answer is right past that wall that you keep beating your head against sometimes, you know? <laughs> That's some really good relationship counseling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, we, yeah, I'm going to use that one. I'm going to use that one, too. I owe you. I might not get away with it. Though. I'm just a door. <laughs> I've had any resistance. Push harder. Here's the key. <laughs> oh, so oh, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one last brick in the pond, if I may. Okay, please. Carol, yeah, with the time that we've got. Um, there is no, again, I'm not being critical, I'm just stating a fact. 
um, there is no question that certain branches of the Christian church today have really caused immense pain and suffering amongst the followers, whether it's pedophilia, amongst clergy, um, whether it's excommunication for um, you know minor offences, um, uh, a rejection of, of a person's hood through some misdemeanor, whatever. So you know, various extremes um, that have that have happened within the liberal. I'm you know I'm not pointing the finger anywhere in particular. That happened within the so-called liberal church as much as in the you know hard line. You know you've got to believe this or else kind of both camps in a way. And um, so when one of the things Dean said right at the beginning, which I, which I really value, is this whole concept of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So one of the things that both Dean and I share in common is that we find ourselves in, in conversation with people who have, have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And rightly, you know, yes, of course you would. Of course you would. Um, if if those people who you trusted and respected and put your life under their influence and authority in some way, because that's what you were taught to do, or you voluntarily decided to do it either way, um, they they caused damage to your life, and and your you know, and, and there are people walking around with wrecked lives who will point the finger at Christianity and say this religion ruined me and so how can i believe in a jesus you know do you know what i don't even care whether he existed or he didn't exist i don't care whether the bible you know i don't i don't even read it now anyway you know i've thrown it thrown my bibles away you know and i just don't want anything to do with that whole thing but neither have they sadly um been able to save some vestige of spirituality and of of knowledge of the divine um, because of the pain, because of of the injury that's been caused. So so that diaspora um, is a different diaspora. It's a diaspora of of agony, Mm -hmm. of people Mm -hmm. in agony who uh, have not resolved that agony and for whom then Christianity is still ironically controlling their lives, mm-hmm. but it's controlling it in a, a negative projection way. So I'm negative, you know, I'm pro- projecting my victimhood in a way on what happened to me in that environment. And so Dean and I both share um, a concern for that uh, dilemma that, that people find themselves in. And what well, I guess we want to say if there's anybody listening you know, to this podcast today, if that if that resonates with, with you, then um, we're here to kind of say, well, actually, um, if if you can just pluck up the courage to go back to the Bible, um, you, you may be very pleasantly surprised. And if you can find some people to talk to about that, you may actually find the solace and the compassion and the unconditional love that 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 you feel you need, if you can just separate the compassion and, and the unconditional love from the, the the representation that Christianity now has, you know, in in your life. But um, 
there are so many people, are there not, um, that we all know who who are in that dilemma at that particular you know diaspora of agony, as I call it, because um, it, it's a wound. And then, and Jesus said, but you know, by these wounds, by my wounds, are you healed? That doesn't just mean Jesus took our sin on the cross. It can mean that if you want it to. But there is a psychology, and this is one of the things that Ko Young, why he wouldn't let go of Christianity, and why he 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 actually was much more critical of the church than than, than I am. Uh, he would say, "You're failing. You're failing the people that you claim to to want to nurture. You you leaders are just not really." understanding that deep within the scriptures, deep within the, this this story, there is a Christ who can be the divinity within, can can heal the divinity, you know, and bring that divinity out, can heal those wounds, can heal that pain. Um, and that, that's all there. It's all there, but you you're not necessarily going to hear that in the mm. from the pulpit. You know, the the, the preacher who says Oh, don't go within. Don't look at the pain. Don't look at the darkness. Don't look at all those things that you feel and think and so on. You know, look to Jesus. It's damaging. I I hear you. Yeah, it's damaging. Mm. Looking looking outside yourself, and mm. it does set up power structures. And I think that's what the that's why these this methodology of teaching I think was mm. uh, adopted because it does set up power structures. You can't do it yourself. You need me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not about you and your divinity. It's about you being such a lowly being and this, you know, and having to cower before the perfection. And it keeps everyone kind of dumbed down. So I, I hear what Carl Carl Jung is is saying. Um, uh, I I. I uh, many people have been damaged. I was recently told <laughs> on social media. I was recently told I'm going to go to hell because I brought in a, a, a you know I said you know, <laughs> this whole thing was about is God a man? <laughs> well, God's not a man. Oh, God's not a man. <laughs> but I kind of there's also a feminine and a masculine to the divine. You know, it's like oh my gosh, you know that's not in the Bible. You're going to hell. I'm like okay, well whatever. Um, I can take it, but a lot of people have been damaged. Um, Okay, Dean, what did you want to say? Well, about that was the idea that the the reason I, you know, I was a leader in the church too, and got to the highest position. But what I was seeing was we weren't living up to our promises. And so as I, I, and I was sort of given the reins to, all right, go outside the boundaries and start helping people. You know, I was spiritually directed. No one knew what was going on in that room. People would get free, but then come back to church and get all bound up again. And I was like, this, we're not delivering what we're uh, promising. You're That's absolutely one. right. But, yeah. but then, too, was is the idea that what is wrong right now in our world? Suicide, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. lack of peace, right? Lack of internal peace going on. And I say, is it a byproduct of our exodus, people like me, our exodus from our churches? From the idea that, hey, we, you know, we can't fight the big giant bureaucracy because I was going to change it from within. My daughter's in the middle of it, changing it, trying to change it from within, getting ready to leave another church, go to another one. Because mm-hmm. it's people, people are letting this, letting people have more opinions now in the, in the newer Christianity, I guess. I, you know, sort of the franchise like the big giant churches, but you can't, you, you can't really speak about the truth and you can't really say something wrong. And it's just like you said, Carol, because that means 
you are not connected to the Father, or you're not connected to Christ. You're something's wrong with your faith. If that's if you're going through that, and that's what hurts people because I'll tell you, my faith is strong, and I go through crap all the time. But now I get to go with my head up high and my eyes looking around for quick ways out of the trouble, right? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna find those too. Because there's a magic in in the world in the way nature works. And and that magic from a seed to a beautiful oak tree is that same magic is inside our hearts, I believe, inside our minds. And we see that by asking questions, by opening up to that and sort of cultivating the, the groundwork or the heart and soul to say, let me just ask a lot of questions and see what's going on here. Let me experiment with this because that's when the God within becomes the God without, I believe. Is it fair to say that um, the true origins of Jesus, the myth behind the man, um, that you guys would consider this a, a a great landing place for people who are questioning, for people who are um, uh, e- either who have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and, and maybe want to come back or are just going like, does this make sense? I've had people on my podcast that just left their religion because they just one day said, none of this makes sense. And and you know, and they found their own way on their own path. That it, it was kind of arduous for a couple of them. Um, do you all think that yeah. this book is a good landing place for those people? Before calm answers, I say it's a good stepping stone. Okay, okay. it's to step inside of that and step inside and, the, and the, the questioning box. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like step inside, open up to that book and see what it says. And and it, I mean, sometimes it's gonna make your heart beat fast. Other times it's going to give you peace and quiet and your 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 HRV, your it all all even out. But here's the thing is is if you're already asking, if you're listening to a podcast like this and you're asking, right? You're asking the questions, you're open to things. Be open to all that Christ could be. Be open that Jesus could be more than what you think, right? Yeah. Could 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 be like a hero to you. Maybe the world's here. Just be open. See what it is. And then, you know, that's why I've started this Entree Spirituality podcast and website, because I want to get somebody after they are on that stepping stone. Let's come talk about this. Let's come talk about what it is that how you see the world and how you can navigate through the wounds, through the betrayals, through the trials of life. And it all been good for you. It's all been good for you. It's gotten you here to today. And watch what you can do with the power that that's done inside of you. You know, mixing up that peak performance, the human peak performance, the science of that. And it starts to reveal a design that matches what Jesus said and young and probably a lot of the people we've listened to. Okay. Okay, great. Gene, what do you think, Colm? If if I'm going to true, finally represent Carl Young in this conversation, I... I should add add something. Um, one of the problems that he highlighted, which I also recognize in my life, is that Jesus was held up as um, perfection. And you you kind of alluded to it, Carol, when you said, you know, if 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 he was a real person and he was able to live like that, then there's hope for the rest of us. Um, that was actually a problem for me. In other words. When I looked at the Jesus of the scriptures, um, I ended up feeling a failure day after day after day because I just couldn't 
Lou. I, I had other stuff going on in me. Um, lucky Jesus, he didn't have that, <laughs> apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I but I but I've got it. And um so Carl Jung, one of his criticism of Christianity was that it was too focused on um the 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 light, divine light, the purity, the 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 sinlessness, and mm-hmm. that that's not a full representation of our humanity. Um so what Christianity Orthodox Christianity, um, in his eyes, said was, well, you've got this other side of your nature, which is sin, which has fallen below the requirements of God, and and the, the best you can do is lay those sins at the feet of Jesus. And he'll he, you know, he'll take them away. You know, he'll he's paid the price. So and that yeah, definitely gave me some temporary, and I emphasize the word temporary relief. Um, but it didn't solve the problem. So a a spirituality that's devoid of the realization that we are both good and bad, whatever good and bad means, that we are both um, uh, children of the earth and of of base things, as well as children of of the divine. We are both of these things. And in Carl Jung, uh, Dean alluded to it in, in Carl Jungianism. Um, the trick in life, the spirituality that he pursued was finding an equilibrium where those two parts can live together. And it usually involves um, the conscious uh, seeking perfection self, embracing the part of the self that's not acceptable embracing it and accepting it that that's also who we are we are also that thing that we don't really want to talk about we are also that person that we try and repress and push down and so on so when i'm talking to a lot of of christians who come out of the church and i start talking about you know looking within and looking at the things you don't really want to talk about you don't really want to acknowledge the pain the shadow as as young called it um that is the beginning of finding divinity. And that in my teaching, certainly, you know, in the secret of the alchemist, if you want to find God within, then you've got to go to the darkest places, because that's where he is. And that's the paradox of alchemy. That is the paradox of the human existence. And that's not taught in the church, not the churches that I went to anyway. And I Gave the full range. <laughs> I gave them all a good chance <laughs> to do it, except yeah. one maybe. You know, I mean, I quote in my book people like Thomas Merton. It's worth googling Thomas Merton, who oh, yeah. uh, was a Trappist monk, Catholic Trappist monk, who was one of the first to write publicly about going on that journey, about going to the darker places within, and trying to understand the dark night of the soul and the right, collapse right. of faith. Yeah, yeah, I wanted. I just want to correct something because I I didn't mean to imply that that Jesus was perfect and therefore a person could be perfect. Oh, okay. I I just I just want to revisit okay. this for a second because because what I like about the story is like the 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 forty days, which is symbolic, in mm. the wilderness mm. where he has the wrestling with the 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 darker aspects of himself you know to me that that is the shadow you know it's considered the yeah, three yeah. temptations or whatever but that whole thing is about 
who am I? Well, I'm this too, and I'm this too, and I'm this too, and what am I going to choose out of that? So mm-hmm. what I see is, is Jesus as a man is, is, is one who wrestled with all of it and was a whole person. But what, 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 I, what, I, what I want to say about the perfection was that, that he was able to choose God, or that he was able to stay connected to his divine nature in a full way, whereas most of us are falling away all the time. Maybe he did too. But there's a lot of good darkness in his story, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I there get is. That. Yeah, there's but a wilderness. Not what, but that's the cave. not what the church. It isn't what's so, taught. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe a whole Jungian approach to the Bible could be interesting. You know, all of it, well, all of the stories. Oh, there's a lot. Of, you know, there's, there are some people who I can recommend you go and, and listen to. You know, alive, been doing it for years actually in the church. So yeah. there are. There are church leaders, particularly in the Episcopalian, more liberal end of the church, who yeah. fully, fully would be, be nodding their head as I'm, you know, you and I are talking here today. Um, so give them credit. There are, but but they are minority. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And the, this is a division of heaven and hell, and good and bad, and evil, you know, and all of that. It, it is it is a complete split, and it doesn't help us become whole people. So I completely get that. So my question is, do you think that this book, Jeff Roberts's book, is helpful for people who are in this place of questioning? Um, so to answer that, then yes, 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 it is, because um, it can release you from the need, from the uh, pressure psychic pressure to believe that the Bible is literally true. It can it can diffuse that. It can say, you know what, the Bible's full of great truths, wonderful truths, some of the greatest truths that, 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 that can be known to the human psyche for well-being. Um, but, you do, but you don't need to believe that the Bible is actually a literal fact to tap into that stuff. So, but for those who are hung up in a way that find that really hard, can't really separate spirituality from literalism, then yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, that that's why, yeah, we've we've backed it really. It's yeah. a it's a it's a door. It is a door, as as Dean said. It's a way through that place. You know what it's you know what it is? Just reminded me. It's it's the door in the back of the wardrobe in Narnia. Oh, oh yeah, nice. I like yeah, that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It is. That's what yeah. it is. It is. It is. Beautiful. It is. It is because. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Just, I was just about to say. Is it? <laughs> I don't know if it'd be the best conversation at Thanksgiving when you're trying to keep peace in the family. <laughs> but it could be an interesting. <laughs> well, if we all get together, then it would be good. Exactly. <laughs> find your find your own family. And I have yeah. to say, you know, the Unity Unity churches around the world are wonderful landing places also, too, for people who've left their <laughs> fundamentalist beliefs because yeah. we embrace everybody. We look at the these teachings in uh, wonderful symbolic ways. Um I'm not saying it's the the perfect place, but I'm saying that's a great place to land if you still want to be connected to a spiritual community um, that mm. that looks at the Bible but um, doesn't necessarily take it literally. I thought it, I you know when I started off by saying I had some resistance, I had some resistance, but I also thought it was really interesting 
to learn the histories of of these myths that are out there. I I always knew that uh, a uh, a divine man had to have a good birth, you know, and so that everybody had to have a good birth story. I always knew that. I didn't know so much about. I did know some about the death and and uh, resurrection stories, but it's interesting to see how they can all piece together, and all these different cultures are kind of saying the same thing. Christmas is still my favorite time in the Christian calendar when I think of the it's the birth of Christ within in the lowly manger in the stable in the cold that's where Christ is born and when you you know when metaphysically you you reimagine that as that place in 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 our own psyche in our own souls um that that the light in the darkness you know where you, the light wasn't just the star above the manger, the light was actually in in the manger. The real light was in the manger, in in the darkness and the cold of the stable, which is our own souls, and and that that gives me immense. Oh, hope. that and, gave me chills. That just gave yeah. me chills. That was so yeah, cool. yeah. So I yeah. love to, you know. So I'm still, you know, in, in a family tradition. We still get the nativity out. We've still got, you know, Mary and Joseph and the and. And my grandsons, you know, totally into it, even though they, you know, they're not really mainstream churchgoers. Because for me, that this is the irony, you know, this is the paradox in a way. Here I am as somebody who say, you know, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin in a manger. And yet, on, on the other hand, I will say for me, that's still the most important. That's the starting point of of the birth of Christ within. So. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> I know. I know. And the Easter story also has uh, a, a wonderful um, symbolism as mm. well. The the tomb. Mm. I always talked about tomb time. It's the, you know, it's, it's that space in between where you've you have died from a former way of being, and before you resurrect yourself to your new higher consciousness, mm. there is this there's this tomb time where you are just apart from everyone and everything and focused in meditation or prayer on the divine and allow yourself to you know rise up to the next level of consciousness so i think there's wonderful wonderful symbolisms and practices around these holidays and these different touchstones in the story so um thanks for sharing that colm i love that yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. dean do you have any last words before we close remember that religion actually meant to bind together that's what it was supposed to do and uh as you pick up this book take a step you will take a step towards taking one strand and starting to bind it together again because we yes. never were separated from god god's always been within all of us it's just a story beautiful beautiful um colm do you feel complete did you have something else you want to say no i'm done um that was that was wonderful dean thank you yeah yeah. Wonderful conversation. You guys, we could get I back know, on and talk again. Great. Yeah. <laughs> we have fun. Yeah, That's lots of fun. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for picking up this book wherever you found it and getting it into the world. I love the title, The True Origins of Jesus, The Myth Behind the Man. Okay, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. I, I appreciate it. And it's always, it's always, always, always a pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. I, I, um, I hope that you learned something. I know, I know somebody out there learned something really interesting and um, appreciate always the generous listening of people. Um, and I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. 
If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.